0: I'm going to start with a nice vote on Parshas Vayayshev. And before I do so, I'd like to express my appreciation to all those who took me seriously last week and contributed toward that campaign that I mentioned, which is still ongoing, so whoever wants can still contribute. So thank you very much and and for all of you. Okay, so there's a vort in the Kaidus Yitzchok, on I think it is, where he brings the word from a physical worker. The Pusik says this week, as find that Yehidu was able to send this uh, G'di'izm that he promised um, with his friend. His friend took it. So he explains that, kind of, he says, that so many problems happen when there's no shulam and Ba'olam, when people don't get along, when there's no ahdas there's machloikas and there's khinam, It causes so many additional problems that could have been avoided when there's ahdas and, and Ahava between people. So when somebody has a good friend, when somebody's close to somebody, the amount of Chizik they can get, the amount of comfort they can get, the amount of good feeling and encouragement could avoid so many other problems. It said, look, look what happened with Yehida. Yehida and Tumar, the way the story plays out, wasn't wasn't, a, wasn't an exciting story. But the fact that he was able to open up to his friend and tell him what happened to him, and he remained a friend, and he was able to help him through it, and he was still willing to be called Re'ayhi, his friend. I once heard, that's the only time in the Torah that we find um, a friend called Re'ayhi this way, not, not Lomsakas Re'echu. But a, a real friend who was, even when somebody was having a hardship, and even when somebody, somebody was so unpleasant, he remained a friend, that, that was what was able to get him through um, this difficulty. So he quotes the as uh, saying that the fact that Yehida was able to send the Bi'adra'ayat Ayadilumi was what's, what saved him through all these problems. And uh, so often people, people look at problems like, you know, the problem is so big, so the problem is going to cause uh, disruption, the problem is going to cause uh, challenges, without realizing that when there's Ahava and there's connection, and it's feeling for one to another, then no matter how big the problem is, the fact that two people are united to overcome that problem, they can do it. And very often, you know, when it comes to sexual bias, when it comes to relationships, you see this all the time, where it looks like the problem is causing uh, the issue. You know, my, my husband has this problem, my wife has that problem, so there's this problem, that's why everything's going haywire. It's not the problem, it's how you're dealing with it. Now I know it's very hard to overcome um, challenging feelings, and just love somebody who you don't love or just get along with somebody who you don't get along with. And many times people get very frustrated when they hear these ideas of, you know, just just build a relationship. Just 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 express more love. You know, and you can express something you don't feel, I know. But just remembering that no matter what challenges there are there, if you look for ways or work on uniting and being closer to one another, then yes, together of course you could overcome every challenge. The challenge is only is only big enough when there's two people that are that are not united and, and it's standing between them. And so, then that, that alone is a very big challenge. Uh, but when two people are going to put in the effort and do what it takes to become close, to work with each other, feel for each other, express to each other, communicate with each other, and grow together, then, then no challenge is, is too big to overcome. That's how Shem made us, and that's why, because it's not good for a person to be alone, because alone he'll struggle, one of the ways to understand it. That's why Hashem made it so that now people can work together and, and overcome a lot of difficulties. So with that said, let me read a, a, a letter. It's a bit long, quite a bit long. Uh, the reason why it's so long is because it came in two parts, um, maybe a month apart. But because I anyway don't get to address questions so quickly, so I was able to look up you know, who it's coming from and just add it. And I think that, that this alone, uh, reading the two parts of this letter, will, also, will already be very enlightening and helpful. Um, so let's, let's go ahead with that. L'Khvoid Rabbi Shema. I love listening to your English Shiur Torah anytime. I always find them entertaining and very helpful to most of the relationships in my life. I just found out you wrote a book and I'm trying to get a hold of it since it's sold out in the bookshop next to me. I discovered your show as a result of struggling in my marriage. I find that in my situation, most of the brilliant Torah-based advice you give doesn't work. For example, in communication in communication, my husband doesn't ever hear my side, and no matter how nicely I say it, and no matter how many times I give in, there will be times that I desperately need him, but he won't move towards me at all. This leaves me really frustrated and upset at him. I'm married to a husband that is emotionally disconnected, self-centered, and helpless. Doesn't try to accomplish anything, no confidence in his ability to do even small, easy day-to-day tasks. We have a boy and two toddler girls, but he calls them my kids and says that it's my job to look after them and does very little in joining, in raising them with me. He doesn't lead Shabbos meals or learn alof bays with my older son I always wanted a large family with many children but he has it fine to deal with with uncomfortable situations like having children whether it's the mess or the noise and having to buy a bigger home because of them I recently listened to your lectures about having children and I am wanting more than ever to have a big family I'm a natural nurturer and brilliant mother We we know that he needs therapy he agreed to get evaluated but he finds it hard to accept and work on his imperfections so refuses to go he has many positive qualities, he is generous, easygoing, charismatic and fun, but that alone cannot fill the void I am feeling from a husband that does not care about me at all, and is constantly telling me that I am not pretty enough for him, but that is not only it, I also feel physically used and that makes me very upset at times. I am on my way to divorce because I can't live my wife lonely like this, and taking, all, and taking on all of his responsibilities, plus, plus his words are slowly eating away at my confidence. I am also thinking of the future, of what life will look like, staying married to him as he is now. And unfortunately, I can only see things getting worse as my children get older. Plus, since I only have three children, they will grow up, get married, and I will be left with no children around me and no husband to love me. I want to make sure that I'm making the right choice, so I'm trying all my options first. I myself am in therapy, but sometimes I feel stuck and confused. How do I find clarity in such a situation? I really value your opinion and valuable feedback. Any help or advice you can give me on the topic is highly appreciated. Eagerly awaiting your response. Thank you for your time. That was the first letter. My response probably was something like, "Um, I could try to address your question one day, but I really believe that you need help, and please don't rely on an answer that I'll give you on a share. Uh, Along with another few lines, maybe. Not much more. After some time, the second letter I got reads like this. I very much appreciated your reply. I was not in a good place, so I did not reach out for the help you offered, but it was a comfort to know that I could if I needed it. I am patiently waiting for your reply to my question. In the the meantime, I am in the meantime, I'm really enjoying all your classes, while I wait for your book to be restocked near me. I already believe, from hearing the little you talk about it, that my husband and I are both UV personalities, very sensitive and emotional, and maybe this is part of the reason why I have so many challenges in my marriage. So here's an update. As you could already hear, I'm still married, despite all odds. I'm not sure what happened exactly, but in the middle of our never-ending argument, we managed to get a few nice words out, and instead of things going downhill again a few seconds later... As it usually did, we were able to continue normal talk. I am aware that this does not sound nice at all. We're both very nice people that don't have a problem getting along with anyone else, but just seem to hurt each other over and over all day long. Right now our marriage is at a place that we probably argue, hurt, and get hurt more than your average couple, but we are able to live together. Our marriage is far from the place I want to be at, so the work isn't over. I must thank you for making me aware of what the therapy was doing for me. It was exactly what you call help that was not helpful. The therapist was validating my feelings, but at the same time putting down my husband and telling me that I do not have to live with such a spouse and I should leave him. This would have hurt me so much, and I am so glad that I was able to recognize this as what you speak against in your classes. Thank you for saving my marriage. My question now is how do I, how do I not get upset and hurt by the fact that he sleeps till the afternoon every day and then takes care of himself and usually will give me minimal help in the evening so, I, so that I won't be able to hold it against him. Before waiting the rest of the day and night, before wasting away the rest of the day and night on his phone, and she mentions some other challenges with Yiddishkeit issues that he has. I do not get the care, attention, appreciation, and the love that I need from doing all his jobs in the house, bringing in the money, and holding the family together while he sleeps. I'm sure you can understand why I don't feel like respecting him, even though I still do love him and see the good in his nature. And I tell him about it nonstop and compliment him on everything that he does that I like. I am eagerly waiting your response. Um, And one added point, P.S., every time I ask him why he's so helpless, he says that because his parents had a very difficult uh, time when he was growing up, it made him believe that working on his marriage is not worth it, and he had such a hard life that he's just given up. He thought that marriage would solve his problems, but obviously it did not. It just magnified them. Okay. Those are the two letters. So let me just start off with a few... uh, introductory comments. One is that, obviously, this is a very general issue, touching upon many different points in the relationship, and similar to what I emailed back the first time, uh, uh, addressing this in the sheer is not going to fix your marriage, although I could give, try to give some, some food for thought. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to address certain points that I think will be helpful for the person writing this letter and for other people. And I'm clearly leaving out um, certain points that it's beyond the scope of this sheer, um to, to address But help is needed Yes, help is needed Not a question A situation like this needs help The right help And as you very correctly uh, quote me As saying that it should be help that's helpful Okay, anyone telling you That um, Anyone telling you that your husband is bad And that this relationship has no hope I mean, it's fine if you go to somebody Who's either not equipped or professional enough Or wise enough To come up with a way to fix this marriage That's okay Not everyone has to be able to I, wouldn't, I would never hold it against somebody who's not creative enough or intelligent enough to come up with ways to make this relationship better. But when somebody sees that they're not able to do that for you, they should tell you that I don't have what to offer you. If they have someone to send you to, that's even better. If they don't have someone to recommend, that's fine too. But for somebody to give an impression, to tell a a, a wife, a woman, a, or a man, you know, you're know, you dealing with a Meshuganah, with a bad person, somebody who has no reason for you to live this way, and just help you either protect yourself or just feel better on your own, but then neglect the marriage or give up on it, is definitely doing something very bad. And yes, you should stay away from such a person if you're involved with such a person. It it, it hurts me so much when I hear these stories just last week also, hearing about a woman who went to somebody and got such bad advice. Uh, The bad part of the advice was that it was coming, first of all, from a lack of understanding of what was really going on. But more than that, okay, not everyone has to understand the same thing, and it could be I don't understand what's going on, so maybe I'm wrong about you know, about how that was misinterpreted. But the advice wasn't the advice that was helping the relationship. So anyone giving advice to somebody that's not helping, or in the name of helping, or on the road uh, toward helping a relationship, you know, I understand that not every piece of advice will help right away. And, there, and it is true that sometimes things get worse before they get better. There's a lot of different ideas that anyone dealing with these things knows but if it's not in the name of making things better and having a path how to get to a better place and being encouraging and hopeful that things could be improved, then you, then you, then that person should not be talking to you or you shouldn't be talking to them better. Anyway, so that's, that's one thing. Another thing that I just want to mention as a general feedback, the fact that I read these two letters, uh, it goes to show a lot of things. One thing is that like you started off your second letter was that I wasn't in a good place then. Now, you're writing to me that you weren't in a good place, you didn't reach out for help, but what you probably mean to say is that you weren't in a good place, and that's why you were seeing things in a certain way. And it's very interesting. I have classes that I have a course that I sell on EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. It's in Yiddish. EFT is not my chiddish at all, and whoever wants to learn about EFT, um, you know, in the bookstore or online or anywhere else. Uh, But I do have a course on, on EFT in Yiddish, Emotional Freedom Technique, helping people get over their own negative emotions and thoughts and, and difficulties. It's a therapy. I mentioned it in my book, by the way, as, as just an example of how people should have some tool to take care of their emotions and help them get over difficulties. It's interesting to see how, I've, I've seen this many times, that when, when somebody um, applies EFT to a certain challenge they have, and, the cha- and it's a very natural way of helping yourself, in other words, you, you, don't, you don't realize, you don't feel so different on the spot, but slowly the whole mindset changes especially when, you, when you're applying it to a specific issue and then a week later I could ask someone okay so how are you feeling about this problem that we spoke about last week uh, what problem? no you told me last time I'm looking at my notes uh, I don't remember everything everyone tells me but I'm looking at my notes I said last week you told me that this person is really getting under your skin and you're so frustrated and You know I mean, that's what I told you? and it's almost comical sometimes to see how people could be seeing things one way and when they're feeling differently they see something totally different now, it's true that sometimes things do improve, but the fact that somebody almost can't even talk the way they did a week before just goes to show that something really happened and, and their emotions um, were definitely uh, definitely changed a lot. So when you write a letter with so much negativity and then a while, back, a while later write a letter like, I wasn't in a good place then, and all of a sudden things are quite different, quite different. It just goes to show how much uh, perspective and how much uh, a challenging moment does to, does to someone. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, just one more introductory comment, because you said something about my classes and my books and things that, you know, sometimes it does work sometimes it doesn't work. It usually works, not always does it work. And I'm not I'm not taking it personal, and I don't believe that anything I could say will always work. Maybe other people do have some magic tools that always work, but I I definitely don't think I have ideas that always work. But they work very often when you apply the ideas and the tools that we discuss and that I write about. They work very often. What happens is sometimes, and this is also something I wanna mention. Uh, what happens sometimes is that people think they're doing things a certain way and, they, and their intention is to do it a certain way and it's either not coming across that way so they think they're doing one thing and really that's not what's being heard or, or noticed um, or they're applying the wrong idea to the wrong situation. That's also something I, I, I've seen. Without elaborating on the difference and the details of these two things the point is that sometimes you'll be told to respect somebody who's, who's feeling very broken. Is very broken, you know, show them respect and that's going to make a, a big change. Now, people who say, Well, I'm showing respect, but they're not, they think they are. And the other person doesn't feel respected at all by these comments that you're making about, Oh, you could do so much better if only you would, whatever, for example. You know, people tell that to kids, If only you would put in more effort, you'd do so well. That was such a compliment. No, no, it wasn't. It was very hurtful, actually. Um, and sometimes people are assuming that this person is broken about something and they're not, and you're telling them things that are totally not applicable to the situation and that's why it's not working. My point is just that sometimes, not always, um, there are ideas that people think they're applying correctly, and for whatever reason it's not working, not because the idea is no good, but because they're not doing it right, and that's sometimes where you do need some objective uh, perspective from somebody else who could tell you both how to understand the situation and how to apply something and make sure that you're doing it right. So, as a segue into the next discussion, um, you're writing to me about your relationship and how you see it, and it's very much about how you feel about your relationship with your husband and all that. What I think, and like I said, I'm not going to go into the whole detail of your situation because I don't think it's going to be helpful to anyone. Um, but let's get a little general. I think a lot of what you're describing and what a lot of people describe actually is what you're seeing and what you're feeling. It's it's the way you um, see your situation. It's the way you're feeling from your husband. is the way you feel that you're... Um, um, that you're behaving and expressing yourself to Him. There's a lot of how you see this over here. Now part of wisdom, is knowing how to step out of your own box and give that helicopter look and see what else is there in this picture. Is there another way to see it? Could it be that He sees something very differently than you? Now I know that you, you're quoting Him and you're picking up a certain comments that He said and assuming that, that's, you know, that He would agree to everything you're writing here. But I wonder if that's if that's the case. Just last week somebody told me something very cute. Maybe it has a source actually, I don't know. But the reason why we need why do you need two witnesses? And why are we trusting two people that say something? Because there's no conspiracy anymore? Is that what it is? Two, if one person says we don't trust him, if five people say we trust, two is enough. He says something interesting. He says sometimes somebody could see something and it's the way they see it. So when somebody's something, relating something and says, I saw this happen, maybe it's just what he saw happen, but it's not necessarily what happened. When two people are saying the same story, that's when you can start assuming that it probably happened. If two people are, saying, are seeing the same thing and relaying the same thing, and it, it's so interesting because so often people could be talking about a situation that somebody else would read, and and they're totally uh, uh, not agreeing to what's what's happening. Now sometimes they, they might they might be able to recognize it, right? It could be that if your husband would read this letter or hear about it, he would recognize that, that you're talking you're talking about him because he heard you say this so many times about him, but not because he agrees with with the way you're, say, you're seeing it. Somebody was discussing the line that's often used in expression, when people say, do, 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 you, do you see what I'm saying? And you can't see what someone's saying. You could see a person who's talking, you can't see what someone's saying. But the point, what the underlying uh, meaning of it is, do you, do you see it the way I'm saying it? I'm saying something, do you also see it that way, right? And very often people don't see the same thing, and that's why going to somebody who's objective and helpful, right? not just to somebody objective, um, but somebody who's helpful too, but hearing what somebody else has to say and being accepting of, wow, somebody else is saying something and telling me something and giving me a perspective that I, I, I didn't see, I don't agree with, but it could be it could be the right. Again, last week, I talked to man and he's telling me something that he did or said or whatever at home. And I said, yeah, uncle, that was a mistake. You shouldn't have said that. It was hurtful. It wasn't productive. You shouldn't have said that. He tells me, yeah, but I want you to understand. I said it because and my wife this, and then that, and I figured that if I say this, then this. I said, "Yeah, I understand. You shouldn't have said that. It wasn't. It wasn't. No, it wasn't good. You shouldn't. You shouldn't say such a thing." And he goes on again. Yeah, but I want you to understand. I, I say it because if I don't say it, and if I do say it, and I would say it, now that I said it, I say, "Uncle, we can keep on going on and on." I, I'm not sure why you're trying to convince me that you did the right thing. You don't. You don't have to convince me. You could just convince yourself. If you want. If you want objective, not because I'm smarter than you, I'm just more objective. Uh, if you want to hear how it looks from the outside, if you did the right thing or not, I'm telling you you did the wrong thing. I heard what you said. Why you did it and how you explain it and justify it, that's not going to change the facts of if it was helpful or productive. And that's often what people are missing. They're very into getting someone else, they're going to somebody to get the other person to see what they see. That's very damaging. Another situation just from this past week, somebody who's a therapist, um, somewhat, somewhat similar to your own, by the way, Again, I don't know if your therapist spoke to your husband or not, or how much your therapist knows about your husband. But similar to the situation that you described in your letter, somebody going to a therapist, and in that case the therapist was blaming the parents. Okay, very common thing, right? Let's blame the parents. Something therapists do all the time. Now, the therapist is blaming the parents based on what? Do they know your parents? No. Were they there and watch anything happen? No. Are they hearing from other siblings of yours how your parents parented their children? Also not. So what is it? You told the therapist how neglectful and abusive your parents were, and the therapist is basically just uh, repeating, paraphrasing, your parents were very um, neglectful and abusive. I mean, you just paid someone $250 for them to repeat what you said, or to believe the story that you just told them? Now, I don't think that you're trying to convince anyone a lie. My point is just that you're very subjective, right? You have a lot of emotions and a lot of um, reason, a lot of rationalizations to your own story and why you believe it and how you um, took it. And they didn't even speak to your parents or know them or hear anyone else say what really went on. And they're basically just telling you, you're right. And now you're walking around with a story but the therapist told me that my parents were abusive. The therapist told you or you told her. And my point is just that here again, you know, you're you going to a therapist who's telling you that your husband's a bad person based on what you're saying about your husband. Again, it's just something to think about. My point is just that going to a third party to get objective perspective is the first step the first step to that is acknowledging that maybe I'm seeing something one way and maybe there's another way to see it. And the first person who might be seeing the situation very differently is your, is your husband. So I think the first thing you want to think of is what's he, what's he seeing? And the reason why I'm, I'm elaborating on this point here is because one of the things you said, for example, again, I don't mean to nitpick, I'm just getting food for thought, is I, I, I can say something as nice as I say it and he doesn't take it. Now, it's hard to believe, but I don't know. Does he agree that you're saying it very nice and that he still won't take it? Now, could be he's wrong. He's also subjective. My point is just that is it obvious that you're saying something very, very nicely and the nicest way you try to say it is totally rejected? If yeah, if yeah, then maybe just accept the fact that you're dealing with the Meshuggah and stop saying it. Not get divorced, but stop saying it. If you're saying something nice and nice and nice and trying every nice way to get across and it's not working, either accept the fact that it's not working and just stop saying it and come up with better ways to, to, do, you know, to make things better, or, or question yourself and say, does he also agree that what I said was so nice? Um, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just questioning yourself. I'll tell you another point which you mentioned later uh, also. Menilinyan, um, connected, right? You say, I compliment all the good things he does that I like. Okay, now I'm sorry for picking up on those words, on those words that I like. I don't know how you're complimenting or what you're complimenting. I don't know how many things you like. But it could be sometimes that compliments are said in a way that's actually hurtful, believe it or not. Sometimes somebody does six things right, and only one of them is the way you like, or what you like, and see, you know, that, that thing, that, that was nice. I was like, that, that, was, that wasn't what I was looking to get complimented for. Or sometimes they're actually said with an implication of negativity, like, yeah, this time you actually did it right. right? So it was a compliment, right? It wasn't, it was hurtful. When you compliment somebody the way they want to be complimented or in the things they want to be complimented or in the way that they think they should be complimented, now you might be getting across. If you talk to someone in a way that they feel is nice and they hear it as something polite and and genuine and and pleasant, maybe they'll respond differently. So I think the first thing in very many such situations where someone's getting so frustrated is to think, what's that person feeling? Like you happen to have mentioned, without going into the details of of this part alone, that you and your husband are both very sensitive. Okay, somebody's very sensitive, they might be hearing things very different than you intended to say them. So you don't have to take blame and feel bad that you're saying it wrong. But it's worth thinking, like maybe due to his sensitivity, let's call it, um, he's not picking up on something the way you intended it to be and and try to come up with a better way to say it that even somebody like that will be able to understand it. So these are just some ideas that I think might already uh, give you a little more options of where to go with this when something looks this challenging and you're not getting across. Another thing that I want to mention is that it's so important to... Again, each of these things really are, are bigger topics, but I'm trying to get on a lot. It's so important to understand how to compartmentalize issues. I talk about this often. What's the personal part of what's the interpersonal part? Okay? If somebody's hurting you or somebody's being mean to you or somebody's not working along with you, that's an interpersonal issue. It's a relationship issue and there's ways to work with that. Then there's the parts about yourself especially because you happen to have mentioned that, you're also very sensitive. It's how you feel, it's your own frustration, it's your own anger, it's your own upsetness, which you, which you mentioned. Dealing with your own emotions is very important. When somebody does something and you get very frustrated and you act out of anger, right? of course you could blame that person as being the catalyst and the cause and the problem and the blame, uh, but at the same time, you, 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 should, you should try to acknowledge that, yes, I was under the influence of my own anger, I was under the influence of alcohol, I was under the influence of of uh, fatigue, of uh, tiredness. So often there are, there's so much that a person could do on their own side of the street, as they call it, regardless of what someone else is doing. So the point is not to take the blame and get self-critical and say, oh, it must be all me. No, your husband could doing very, very many things wrong, but if you could pick up on the parts um, that you could do personal work on and help yourself and... And talk to your therapist about how do I control my emotions, and I don't react, and I don't go out of control, I don't take things out of proportion. And yeah, this is something very, very important, just on a personal level, before talking about the relationship. Okay. Now, you did mention at the end um, something about him not wanting to put in the work and marriage and whatever, and it seems that you are willing to, and you understand that marriage takes work, and you're right, marriage does take work. It does take work. Um, you should be ready to do it. It's the best investment you'll make. Many people are, are just distract themselves and do other things instead of working on a marriage and relationships. It's, it's very important. Um, in general, I tell people, and you probably heard this from me in the past, if you listen to me, um, see what you could do to help this relationship, which means even if somebody else should be doing a lot, a lot of things someone else should be doing to make this relationship better. But before that person does anything, what could you do? Especially if you're talking about somebody who for whatever reason can't do it, or doesn't want to do it, doesn't believe he can do it, it's all the more reason to say, okay, you know what, I'll do mine. Is it fear? It's not fear. Is it even? It's not even. Does he deserve that I should put him? No, he's nothing. You're talking about somebody who's, for whatever reason, um, discouraged, maybe depressed, um, maybe hopeless, maybe burnt by some difficult past, or whatever it is, by the time you're dealing with somebody who's pretty clear about the fact that he doesn't have what it takes, and he, or he's not interested, however you, however you want to interpret it, He's telling you clearly he's out for lunch. He doesn't have the, the, the stamina, what is it, the koiches the to do this. He's telling it to you. I tell the to people even when they don't hear this from a spouse. See what you could do. Stop telling someone else what to do. Even if, even if, even if your spouse wants to do something, just just look at yourself. But if he's telling you for whatever reason, and he sounds pretty, I don't know if the word is depressed, but definitely um, not in a good place. So I, I, you know just do yourself a favor and see what you could do better. See what you can do? I know it's not easy. It's not easy to do a one-way thing. Of course, when you do the right thing, that will always generate somebody to to reflect and do the same thing back in general. But even if not, there's so much you can still do, whether it's on a personal level or even on an interpersonal level. Now, like I said, you want to take it into consideration. Maybe my my husband's seeing something different than what I'm doing. Well, if you're ready to be vulnerable and ask him, that's wonderful. Imagine, if you go home, you say, I think I'm being very nice to you and I'm trying to communicate in a very pleasant way and, and get across... Could it be I'm making a mistake? I know, it's not easy to say that. Sometimes you could do it in writing, or whatever, but, but sometimes being vulnerable and opening up and, and, and being ready for somebody to say, yeah, you think you're being nice? That's nice? Which is not, a, a, it's hurtful. Sometimes it will just give you some perspective. And if, and if it's too hard to do it, I understand that maybe it is, uh, at least ask someone else. Listen, this is what I told my husband. This is how I think I communicated. Could it be I'm getting something wrong? And, and very often... Very often it's all about communication. It's all about saying the right thing in the right time, in the right tone. There's so much you can get across. I, I, I'm a big believer of the fact that when things are communicated correctly, again, the right time, tone, everything, right? Um, they, they, could, they could make a big difference. And in general, if, you're, if, you're, if your goal or your drive at this point, uh, again, it's not easy what I'm saying. I'm not looking to say easy things. Uh, but if your drive, if your motive is, how can I make my husband feel better? Especially because he's feeling so down and depressed I mean, sleeping in the afternoon and not bringing home, um, uh, and not providing for a family and, and, and being told about it as well doesn't feel good. I don't know if you ever tried it. Don't try it. doesn't feel good. He's not feeling good. Sometimes we see people who are hurting us as, wow, you know, I have to hurt him back because if not, I'll think it's okay. Look at him. He's so macho. He thinks it's okay. He's so self absorbed. He must be feeling really great. And I'm, I'm feeling, he's not feeling great at all. Very important point. No teenager who's hurting their parents by staying home and smoking weed is feeling good about it. That's not, that's not the person you're trying to now you know, break his ego a little bit. He's broken to pieces. I'm assuming your husband doesn't feel good at all. I am assuming that you can make him feel good and show him that he is special and important and respected, even though it might be hard to respect somebody who's who's not functioning that well. Um, but the little things that he does for you, like you mentioned, he does. And if you compliment him the right way, like I said before, instead of complimenting them in a way that could actually be hurtful, I, I do believe that you could slowly generate changes. Now again, I don't think this is instead of having someone guide you through it and, and being supportive, but I do think that there, there's so much that you could just take into account and start doing things just a little different and break through and making them feel comfortable enough to start being a, a, a healthier and better spouse. Um, another few tips. I think you should give them all the credit for the improvement. I tell the people all the time. You're going to put in a lot of work, right? And at some point... He might even say something stupid like, yeah, what are you doing for this marriage? And like, what am I doing for this marriage? I'm killing myself for this marriage. I'm listening to Shurim, I'm going for help, and I'm trying this and that. Give him the credit. When things get better, tell him, wow, it's like you, do, you must be doing some magic because I'm feeling so much closer to you. It's not easy to give someone else the credit. But very often when you give someone the credit, they'll acknowledge that things are getting better and they'll work along with you. Now, none of this is instead of uh, being assertive and telling your husband when something's bothering you. But it definitely has to work hand-in-hand hand with really trying to make him feel good, first of all, and knowing how to be assertive in a way that's not hurtful or blaming or critical. And that's something that many people get wrong. Just last week, I got a compliment from somebody who told me that he was, he was repeating how he was very expressive and assertive at home about something that was bothering him, and it was taken well. And I was very impressed. I said, wow, that was, that was very well-worded. And he gave me the credit, which is, like, ah, maybe he just heard that he's supposed to give someone else the credit. He said, listen, I, I listened to you so long already that I know how to say when something's bothering me without hurting my wife. Without making her feel blamed, without making her feel like now she has to do something differently, or that things she wasn't doing until now uh, were no good, and things like that, it's very important to know how to express yourself. If you're just going to bottle it all up and just go into the mode of, okay, I'm going to make him feel good, he's my case, he's my tzedakah, you know, that's not going to work. It's important to be able to express yourself, but to do it in a healthy way. And I'll end off saying that, especially based on what you're describing, um, whether it's his personality, or it's his childhood, or it's his current struggle with, Yiddishkeit or anything else, it, he's definitely dealing with a lot of difficulty and limitation. And this is a general thing that people don't want don't to um, acknowledge sometimes. Aside from the fact that you're not your husband's mashgiach, and aside from the fact that he has his own personal thing and it's not necessarily your, your issue, it's important to realize when somebody's struggling emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. Now, the physical part is usually the part that we accept first. Okay, so they have a broken foot, they can't help me with the baby. Right? That's the part. You say, why, why do you accept that? What do you, what do you mean you can't help with the baby? But I have a baby, I can't do it myself. He can't. He hurt his foot. Right. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge people's limitations that are based on other things. And we just get upset and frustrated over them trying to change the things we can't change. So that's very important. I mean, Another example, right? If your wife is too short and she can't reach the cabinet, you don't get frustrated. Maybe, maybe you get frustrated, but you don't, you don't express that frustration. So it's not fear. It's already a year that I'm reaching up for her. Is that normal? Now, it could be if you're telling her to not stop putting things up there and this place in the lower cabinet, that's a different story. But in general, the fact that somebody is limited, they're limited. And you have to work with that limitation if, if you want to make it work. And you should want to make it work. You have three kids at home, and you married someone, and you see the good in them. And, and that was one thing that I, I wanted to throw in before also. You, you're definitely giving a, an interesting perspective, just going back to the thing about perspective. Just like you mentioned, you, you're saying so many nice things, and he's not taking it well. You know, Sometimes that doesn't add up. Even just the description you said of him doesn't add up. He's generous and kind and easy, but then he's very inflexible and and a little difficult. So again, there's there's definitely different parts over here, and it could be he's seeing one thing, you're seeing something else. So with that, let me make this this short summary uh, just again. Um, Yeah, this definitely is worth putting work into, and it's definitely worth realizing what bad moods and bad uh, moments do for you and how you see something, but perception and perspective... Realize that what you're seeing, he might not be seeing. And a lot of what you're seeing is emotional. He might be seeing a very nice um, husband who's trying his best and his his efforts are not being noticed, for example. Or he might be seeing all his qualities and at least thinking or feeling that you're seeing only his negative traits, for example. So that's just being open to a different perspective than you're noticing. Um, Being ready to work on your own issues, whether it's frustration or anger or reactions. Being willing to put in the work on your own and make him feel good and give him the credit for it and try to figure out what it is that he wants to hear while acknowledging his limitations and being a little more forgiving and tolerant of them. I think that's something that could really help us. It's like we started off with any difficulty could be overcome with the right amount of our closeness. And it's Hashem. When we look to build and we look to connect then we could overcome these challenges and any challenges and live together in Ayy v'sha'silf Ba'ah